It's a lot of fun. Keep it fun. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host at Steedy the NFL on Twitter, and of course, follow the group. At you. Hey, I'm after hitting my elbow. This is a bad start to a podcast. Pete, I'm injured already. Petey Pete at ithog on Twitter. Now, I ask you this every time, Pete. I've an injured elbow, so bear with me. I'm a bit delicate. Um, new stuff. New stuff is circling on uh, social media about you this week, Peter. What have I done, Steve? There's rumours out there, right? And if you didn't have pictures going back 75 years to where you supported <laughs> the Packers, I'd be very suspicious. Pete, you're quite a regular on the UK Packers podcast and hopefully more regular going into the future, particularly from the gushing comments that we get after your appearances, right? But I, I went on Twitter and I clicked on and there was a Cleveland Browns podcast, buddy, and you were all over it and you were speaking like an expert. What is going on, bro? Well, it's a good thing, Steve, that those that those photos of me and Curly Lambeau and Don Hudson <laughs> together from 1933 actually exist. Yeah, drawn out plays and stuff. 36, yeah. I guess that would be. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing those actually exist. Um, yeah, so I was invited to do um, to uh, appear on the uh, the Brownie Sunday podcast. Mm. I, I guess on two counts: one to talk about the coaches that unfortunately have have moved from the Packers to. Green Bay East, as we now know, yeah, Cleveland. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and also um, to touch on um, some of the activities that we've done around the Clay Matthews Jr. Um, and the efforts to try and get him into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But, but, but yeah, I've got lots of lots of Browns friends, as it were. So mm. I um I was moonlighting, Steve. I was getting worried there for a couple of reasons because we see John Dorsey, general manager, Elliot Wolf goes. <laughs> Then they take Alonzo Highsmith, for God's sake. Then they start taking the Jeff Janices. I mean, you know, bleeding our best players. Brian Price was gone. Couldn't believe that. Devontae Mays. I mean, look, we're talking upper echelon here. Lindsey Pipkins goes. But it was really the swip, the swiparoo, the switcheroo with the, the Marius Randall and the Sean Kyes that got me worried more than anything else. But then I hear Peter Jones is gone. And I'm like, come on, lads. <laughs> I mean, you're taking the absolute mickey here. Now... I just went for I just went for an interview and the money was no good, Steve. So I came back. You came back, yeah, where the real money is, uh, the total salary of three ninety nine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then I heard the guy rapping at the start of the podcast, and I was like, "Hold on, now that's my gig." I mean, you can't be coming in. It's just, I don't know. It just upset me, and I became a jealous husband, as all I'm saying, or wife, depending on how you feel about it. But anyway, um, what is the story then with uh, Clay Matthews Jr.? Because I do see you championing him online, and I do see stats sort of comparing him with an awful lot of the greats that have made it into the hall. Um, obviously, we know Clay Matthews the third, um, yep. is knocking around Green Bay now for quite some time. Um, you know, Packers leading sack leader and all the rest. So I'm guessing then that you want to sort of proliferate to our listeners your sort of desire. You're, you're effectively the Alicia Kramer to Clay Matthews <laughs> not, Jr. Is that what you're saying? Not really, no. no. That would be that would be Clay's, Clay's sister, Jennifer. Yeah. Um, I was a big Clay Matthews Jr. fan as a as a kid all those many many years ago. So there were two players when I was when I was growing up, two non-Packer players when I was kind of really getting into football that were my favourites. One was Earl Campbell at the Oilers, yeah. and the other one was Clay Matthews Jr. And um, I, I guess he's one of those guys, and every every franchise has probably 
got one. You know, we have one with Jerry Kramer, um, a guy that we feel ought to be in the in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and for some reason, usually some unknown reason, um, he's not there. And Clay Matthews was, was that guy for me for the for the Cleveland Browns. And um, there were some guys out in Cleveland that were kind of starting um, the campaign, as you were, and I use the word loosely, campaign word loosely, um, to try and work on getting Clay in. And, um, you know, they were in touch with, with Jennifer, which is Clay's, our Clay's sister. So Clay Jr.'s um, daughter. And she, so she's kind of doing the Alicia Kramer stuff. And I guess I, I, I tried to help them with some ideas and thoughts and whole bunches of stats and how to try and, um, if you like, present the case for, for, for Clay Matthews Jr. And yeah, so that's kind of where we are. Um, we got to the semi-final. He got to the semi-final this year, down to the last um, 25, but not not into the finalists, unfortunately. So it's more work to do, um, but it's one of those things that we're going to continue to 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 work on. And 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 you know, Jennifer Matthews, um, you know, she's she's fantastic in pushing the case and and. I'm working on it and you know we're doing what we can with her and um yeah maybe maybe one day we can get Jennifer to come on come on this this podcast yeah it's always weird when you get though family members or someone who's closely linked yeah. because it always leads into so is Clay knocking around anywhere or maybe <laughs> giving out text to Rooney and get him on yeah. Um, um yeah maybe not the way I've criticized he's played the last couple of years <laughs> don't think he's going um, on but yeah so that's kind of the 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 the, the long and long and short of it with the, with the Clay Matthews Jr. thing. So yeah, yeah. As a as a kind of stats guy as I am, I came up with all kinds of stats, and you've seen some of the, the, the some of the um, stuff on Twitter and what have you of of, of, of some very compelling yeah. statistics, really. And I know that statistics don't tell the whole story, but in his case, it's a very compelling case. Yeah, I was gonna say it is very compelling. I mean, when you put them up against um, some of the some of the lads that are already in there, um, you know, and what a family! I mean, what a what a sporting family that uh, the Matthews family are. Um, and look, if you're gonna call your kid the third uh, sporting <laughs> grace family, yeah, so it'll be it'll be great to see him in certainly. And Jesus, imagine he got in and then um, Clay the third got in. Um, Jesus, that'll be uh, some really. Head and shoulder sponsored busts in the yeah, Pro Football Hall yeah, of Fame. Absolutely. It's hard though, isn't absolutely, it? The Pro yeah. Football Hall of Fame, Pete, because there's always so Jerry. So before that, the Pro Football Hall of Fame puts you know tweets out, and like nearly everyone was responding at the time saying, "I'm not going to take you seriously if you know Jerry Kramer doesn't get in." And then he gets in, and now it's switched to, "Well, I'm not going to take any of this seriously as long as Leroy Butler doesn't get in." <laughs> like, Jesus Christ! And it's, and it is so it's you know it's so difficult and as the years go by you know with only five to eight players getting in players and coaches and contributors getting in every year mm. and it's it's so it's it's so difficult you know and 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 you can probably go to almost any franchise and you look at the top two or three players that aren't in from that franchise and there's a compelling case for those guys as well yeah you know so it's um it's difficult, and I, I, you know, and certainly from the Packers' perspective, you know, we did the article a while back on the top ten Packers not in the in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and there's a compelling case for all of those ten. Yeah, um, you know, and some of them probably have a half a chance. Leroy Butler, given you know over time, 
he's just got to push himself. Um, you know, we've got to push him from a semi-finalist to a finalist and, and what have you. And some of the others, you know, the Ron Kramers of this world who um, – Probably their chance is probably zero simply because they played in the Lombardi era and there's already 11 of those guys in. Yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? That comparative yeah. thing where it's kind of like a grading on a bell curve in college. You know, and they're like, you did a really good paper, but so did loads of other people. So now you get a D. It's kind of like, <laughs> oh, my God. What? Uh, but I know. That's yeah, the, 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 you know, the biggest the biggest one Packers one for me is Gail Gillingham. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he was he was the guard after the era, if you like. He played in Super Bowl two, you know, it was that era, but kind of came coming rel- almost after Fuzzy and and Jerry and those guys. And and all of his best years were sixty nine, seventy, the early seventies, when the Packers weren't such a great team, and he was a great player on a not such a good team. And mm. in any other era, if he played on more championship teams or not had the direct comparison with 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 Jerry Kramer, then he would probably almost certainly be in, um, but his chances are probably slim. Yeah, it's it's such a shame, really, because especially what sort of struck me reading the Ralph Hickok book about Johnny Blood was when he was going back and they were talking about players and asking him for his opinion, and you know he was trying to go through the stuff like oh he's a good player and oh he's terrible oh he's yeah. never gonna get in and he was he even he as great a player as he was and how he actually played alongside these guys and you're kind of thinking like even he doesn't have the sway to get these lads in. And eventually you're just forgotten the history. You're just never going to be remembered. And in fact, I wonder how many people are actually in the hall, like, you know, that you'd look at and go, I've no idea who that is or what he did. You yeah. know, it's so trivial. And and that, and that is the sad thing. And I know that, you know, when you spoke to Ralph Hickok, you know, some of the, some of the names of the guys like Lavi Dilweg yeah. and, and Vern Llewellyn came up. And, and those guys, when you look at what they did in the era in which, in which they played, yeah. they ought to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But their chances now, unless somehow or other they somehow appear on a senior list one year, their chances are, you know, are almost none. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You're going to have to just uh, park this Browns talk and uh, just, <laughs> you know, start working through the old Packers and <laughs> try to put a list together. But if anybody wants to read that article... um and along with your other stuff, because there's, 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 there's actually a Two Minute Tuesday articles that are going up about the sort of... I don't know, the quarterbacks in Packers history that are almost in Packers history that, you know, people might not be fully aware about. Um, other players on your list that you had, as you mentioned, uh, Gail Gilliam, uh, Bobby Dillon, who's a one-eyed guy yeah. in the stuff that he did. Uh, you've yeah. mentioned uh, Lavi Dilveg. Uh, Cecily Spell, which is, the, the guy was just an absolute uh, beast. Vern Llewellyn, which I know is uh, one of your favourites, right? Um, yeah. Fred Carr, Boyd Dowler. So there's some really um, top-notch stuff and there's a, good, there's a couple of comments underneath that uh, article itself with people sort of you know throwing in their mentions if anybody out there is listening who is who have we not mentioned and i know there's probably one uh wide receiver with their career cut short um that people might want to throw the, his name into the hat as well um <laughs> he was he was on the list yeah yeah so before we start getting carried away in packers history because me and you you see the problem with me and you is right is that we'll start delving into packers history we'll get lost in the whole thing about it we should probably co-author some sort of book um, so that instead of us getting lost in it, we just say, just lads, just buy, just read the book, just buy and read the book, and then you don't have to listen to us and on about history. It's very much about the present now, and certainly what's been going on in the building is there's been a ton of coaches let go, and there's been new hires, and there's been sort of interesting things to talk about. Um, so I guess I should run through the coaches that have been removed, um, and then we can talk about the coaches that have been hired. So out of the building is Joe Philbin, offensive coordinator. 
He's had interviews with the Browns, Vikes, and Bills. Uh, Frank Signetti, quarterbacks coach. This one annoyed Rodgers when he was hired or seemed to annoy or that's certainly the narrative in the media. I'm always very apprehensive, Pete, you know, when I start talking about this stuff because sometimes people say the same thing enough that it becomes true. But so let's just say that the, the rumor out there was that he was kind of annoyed about it. Now, he did come out with barbed comments right at the time saying that he wasn't consulted and he was kind of annoyed and people sort of deemed that, that he was taking shots. And other people even say that that's when the relationship between himself and McCarthy really broke down was because he wasn't consulted about this type of stuff and McCarthy I guess was effectively firing and hiring to try save his job at the time um Jim Hoster has gone to be wide receivers coach of the Panthers uh Jeff Blasco and James Campen have both gone to the Browns which is as you said Green Bay East uh Campen has effectively got I don't know if you could call it a promotion promotion is the associate head coach of the Browns and he's also doing the O-line Blasco was obviously the right hand man he's gone uh David Ray gone to the cardinals it's going to be a real country place over there david ray always struck me pete um as kind of uh an excited puppy a guy who was just so happy to be (laughs) in front of the camera seemed like a nice enough guy but i remember them unveiling him as wide receivers coach and I don't know. There was something about him that I was kind of like, oh my God, he needs to stop talking. <laughs> it's just because, <laughs> kind of like me now, um, he needs to stop talking. Um, Mark, Murf- M- Mark Murphy disease, we call it. <laughs> Rubbed off. You know what I mean? He's probably went up to him and like, Mark, I'm a very quiet guy. What do I say in my first press? He's like, just give him 20 minutes of just solid, uh, you know, individual soliloquy and that'll be fine. Soliloquy, word of the podcast. Uh, tight ends coach, uh, Brian Angelico. Another guy who, and maybe I'm, I'm pronouncing that wrong. Angelicio or whatever um but yeah another my Italian should be better because apparently I have Italian heritage he like one of the interviews that sort of stands out with me with him was is that it was late in the season and I, I think he was wearing some sort of like badass Nike Packers t-shirt I don't know where the hell he got it because I've never seen it before his hair was all over the place um he had like a you know a four-day shadow going on and it just looked like he was kind of taking the mickey Okay, I didn't see that one. So that that sounds like an imposter or something you were watching on YouTube or something. Right? <laughs> yeah, he was in his mother's basement. It was really odd. Um, yeah, I remember, and it just like struck me. I was like, "That's not, that's not the guy." And I must, I tell you what. Before I, I don't want to slander anybody. I'll go try find what that interview is, but it's going to be really <laughs> obscure. Um, so the uh, Joe Witt Junior is gone. Uh, he's again gone to uh, Green Bay East. Um, Scott McCurley. Defensive assistant gone. Ron Zuck gone. And they'd have interviewed some special teams coaches. Uh, none of them have stuck. And then yep. Patrick Graham has become the defensive coordinator for the Dolphins. Um, which, uh, it, I don't know. I won't go into how weird the Dolphins situation is. Um, but yeah, they're certainly doing weird stuff out there. So the big ones to me that have gone um, is James Campen. Um, Ron Zuck is big for the opposite reason, <laughs> I guess. Joe Philbin, he's such a favourite and there was an awful lot of history and, and deep personal stuff that went on. Um, I have a lot, of affection, a lot of affection for Joe and I think the situation he was put in was was bad. And I'm aware now I've probably got 10 minutes on the clock of just me continuously talking. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to couple this and I'm going to throw it over to you, Pete, and, and you can just run with it. Um, LeFleur, when they asked him about his hiring coaches and all the rest, he said that he wants to be, A, well, he didn't put it in this order, as fast as possible. And he said that he wants to be intentional in about what we do. So, and he also said that there's good candidates out there. Now, what I will ask you is, is that the coaches that are gone, do these leave gaping holes? Um, d- 
did he as fast as possible uh do you agree with that he's he's plugging holes as fast as possible and has he gone so fast that the candidates that he's got in from the very limited stuff that we do know about them it was he correct in saying that there were good candidates out there and did we get those good candidates so i think that um the it hasn't felt fast so 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 if there were two things to kind of sum up the, the where we are for me uh, as with the coaching staff now it would be the coaching staff is i was going to say it's generally very young in fact i think it's all very all very young yeah. um and the second one was, was that the process itself seemed to be taking a long time now that might well be because this is almost the first time that we've been through this process in the kind of social media era, if you like. Mm. You know, we, we haven't changed coaches since 2006. And, you know, every day now, every five minutes now, there's a story about this coach is going to be interviewed or this coach is a possibility and whatever else. And I, and I guess it makes it feel like it's taken longer than probably it normally does. And I think the other thing that you throw into that mix is, of course, there's eight teams trying to fill coaching staffs right now, which makes the whole process more difficult. Um, in terms of the the guys that have moved on, um, I think the two immediate gaping holes would, would be ja- would be James Campen and, and and Joe Witt Jr. Yeah. Um, and not least, even if you put their coaching prowess to one side just for a second not least because those are the two longest tenured coaches that are there you know campen has been there for I want to say 15 seasons which I believe is the second longest for an assistant um, coach in the history of the Packers and Joe Witt Jr a decade or so 10 or 11 10 or 11 seasons so just by definition those guys have been around the place for 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 a long long time so so just losing those two guys, you're losing 26, 25, 26 years of coaching experience in, in Green Bay. So I think those two are the two biggest immediate holes. Um, Joe, Joe Philbin is an is a interesting one in that he, you know, he did an excellent job for the Packers, not only as an offensive coordinator in his previous spell with the Packers, but coming back this time and having to pick up the mantle um, when when Mike McCarthy was was moved on, I think is a, is an extremely difficult job to do, and I think he carried that four or five weeks when he was in that role with um, what a lot of good grace, a lot of positivity, and whilst he may have potentially seen it as um, an audition for the you know for the full head coaching job. He must have known deep down that the chances of him getting the head coaching job were very slim. Um, but it, but he still, I thought he carried himself with, like I say, a lots lots of good grace and and um, just just in the in the in the right way. And I think we have to be grateful to, to Joe Philbin for that. And we and we hope that you know he goes and gets one of these other jobs wherever it wherever it might be i'm sure that that, that somebody's going to going to give him a role because there's a role for him mm. going back to to james campen i think that on the face of it that's the biggest loss in terms of the prowess 
of of a coach. And I, I talked at length um, about James Camp and on the on the Brownie Sunday podcast, guys. Um, if you want to check it out, um, but but um, you know, if you if you look at his record in in Green Bay, and, and I know that you're quite a proponent of pro football focus, Steve, and their offensive line rankings. I think something like in six of the last eight years, they've had the Packers ranked in the top ten offensive line. Yeah, and and also the Packers. Um, Average yards per carry in the running game, I think, in, has been in the top ten in five of the last seven years. Um, so, so everything around that, the offensive line, particularly given that they've not drafted lots of guys. You know, Campen became the coach in 2007, so all the way through to 2018, those 12 years, I think they've taken two number one picks, Brian Balaga and Derek Sherrod. Mm-hmm. You know, and Sherrod's career was ended through, you know, a, a very severe leg injury. Yeah. So, in essence, one number one pick in all of that time. Who can't stay healthy, th- too, by the way. Yeah, who's absolutely right. It struggles to stay healthy, and I, and, and I think only one other pick in the in the in the top three whose name escapes me right now, but might come back to me. But in the whole of that period, they haven't given him, you know, high draft picks to work with, and yet. The Packers have had more pro bowlers, more different pro bowlers on the offensive line over that period than any other team. You know, and you look at Bakhtiari, who's probably the best left tackle in football. The other guys that that, that have come through, Josh, Josh Sitton, yeah. you know, TJ Lang, mm-hmm. um, Chad Clifton would, would have been there, um, Scott Wells, the center. So, so a whole whole bunches of guys that he's been able to work with um, who perhaps some would have regarded as not having the greatest natural talent in the world that he's been able to work with and, and bring those guys through. So I think, I think his record there is is very very good, and I think unfortunately the Cleveland Browns are getting a very good offensive line coach there. Yeah, and it's it's true what you say about um, Joe Witt Jr. We see. Uh, Charles Woodson come out and constantly champion Joe with Jr. and the amount that he's had to put up with and um, with injuries now what I will say is is that it's never on par we can never compare James Campen with Joe with Jr. and look at the injuries on both sides and sort of say you know that Joe with Jr. particularly struggled his units have struggled and they've been down in the basement um, and all the rest because of the amount of injuries have but look at Campen he's done really well and he's got injuries and all the rest I think that the well, certainly later on, right, we see an awful lot of activity happening in the draft to try supplement, um, you know, Joe Witt Jr.'s yep. staff, really. They've, they've been trying to get guys in to, to work out. Uh, we've seen, but again, I suppose he was given, you know, safeties where he needed cornerbacks and given cornerbacks where he needed safeties. And then he had guys with attitude problems. He had the, the likes of... Um, you know, if you look at how Clinton Dix, the way he ended it with the with the finger pointing and blaming coaches and everybody else and young people, and it just seemed like a really disjointed unit. Now, what does concern me is is that with the amount of influx of these new coaches, and as you said about the rages, Nathaniel Hackett's thirty nine, um, offensive line coach who's taken over from Campen, um, Adam uh, Stenovich is thirty five, uh, Justin Outen, who's tight ends coach, is thirty five. Um, Luke Getze, who's young, is 34, but he's kind of the guy I'm least worried about for, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, there's, there is this injection of youth. Now, whether that will foster foster an attitude of we're young, we're ready to get it. But 
there's a slight caveat on that, I guess, when you look at the likes of Sean McVay, who's just I'm kind of sick to the teeth because I don't think it's a proper analogy. Because Sean, they say we should get a coach like Sean McVay. Sean McVay is the outlier, if you ask me. He's the guy. He's way out there in his own. He's the youngest coach to bring a team to the Super Bowl at the age of 32. Um, you know, and his grandfather, of course. Uh, was general manager of the Niners when they were winning uh, all of the Super Bowls back in the 80s. So, and again, that was kind of a microcosm within itself with the players that were available and all the rest. So there's an awful lot to it and there's an awful lot to the devour on that. But what I would say is, is that youth doesn't always equal excellence. Youth can, youth can also equal inexperience, uh, disjointedness. Um, and from the blurbs that we see from the new hires, I, I kind of find it, some of them I find a bit jarring really because it says... This is his seventh year in the NFL. Before that, he was the high school... Co- and I'm like, high school! And it just gives me this <laughs> tightening of the chest. Um, so there's a lot to love about youth and there's an awful lot to be scared about. Um, I don't know how you feel about the new hires. Is there anyone in particular that sort of stands out to you and go, yes, he's young, but he's expected to be good because of X reason? And is there, is there enough information out there for us to make these sort of um, you know, decisions and, and opinions? Yeah, so I, so I think it's I think it's really difficult to make opinion, particularly on on the assistant coaches. I think on the on the head coach and and the coordinators, there's there's typically you know a larger body of work and a larger body of work that they've had at least some level of influence on. You know, whilst they, you know, Lafleur is coming from being an offensive coordinator, so he's had some level of influence on what's gone on in that in that ball club, clearly. Um, but he hasn't been the 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 head guy, um, but when you get down to the to to the level of the assistant coaches, I, I think it's you know I, I think it would be wrong of lots of people to 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 look too closely at CVs and draw um, either a really positive conclusion or a really negative conclusion. Yeah, you know um, the fact that um, and I guess it was Justin Outen you were referring to that that been a head uh, you know, a high school coach for nine years before coming into the into into the pros. Um, it's a it it's a concern, um, but but you also look at that and say, then he spent three years with the Falcons in various various roles, and and you don't know whether that's actually a good thing or a yeah or a bad thing. As you alluded to, um, sometimes young guys bring an extra energy. Um, and, and perhaps more open to ideas coming back from some of the senior players, and you know, and I'm not talking about players running the team or anything or anything like that. But you know, guys that have been around the NFL for 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years as as players, they're going to have their ideas, they're going to have their thoughts, and, and it's pretty good when you know there can be a two way a two way dialogue and a, and, a, and a joint learning as as you go along. Whereas some of the older position coaches that have been position coaches for the last you know I've been with the Redskins for 29 years <laughs> yeah that that's okay but the game was a little bit different 29 years ago yeah so so uh, you know it 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 can work it can work it can work I, either way so I it's very difficult to look at the the assistants and 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 draw a draw an, an early an early conclusion you know, and and how much influence do those guys have once once Lafleur and Hackett have started installing their offense and um, and what have you? How much does you know Luke Luke Getzey as the quarterback coach? How much actual influence in terms of the plays and the play calling does he have? 
you know, does he become more of a, a confidant for your quarterbacks? Does he just, does he spend more time just making sure that looking at film and making sure that their, their technique is holding up as the season goes on, that they're not, they're not taking a, a seven step drop when they should be taking a five step drop, all the stuff that's kind of correctable through, through film. I, that's more of their, their role. I think that once, once we get, in particular, the you know the offensive scheme installed. I think we'll see where 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 all of this where all of this goes. You know, you can't imagine an offensive line coach suddenly turn it's going to turn David Bakhtiari into an average tackle. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. So so so, so you know, let's not get too hit up in the fact that that Campen's moved on, and um, you know Adam Stenovich has 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 come in. He's got a learning curve. We've all we've all we've all got a learning curve. But I think it the key is what Lafleur does and what Hackett does. I think. Yeah, I mean, what's really going to stand out for the team is going to be the handle that Matt Lafleur has on the team, and really, it's the non-football style stuff I think that matters. So we see people trying to tap into the mind of Bill Belichick to try poach his coaches, which is the rhyme of the podcast. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we've seen that with the Detroit Lions and then he's coming in late, to, the head coach coming in late to meetings um, and all the rest and just being a bit, well, rumoured to be just, a, you know, a bit too casual about stuff like that. I think, you know, we all see the likes of Sean McVay and again, I'll say he's an outlier, but where he's not an outlier is simply the the discipline. Um the word discipline really annoys me. I had an art teacher call it discipline. I'm just going to put that out there and hope it annoys you for the rest of your life too. Um, so, you know, as long as you keep the discipline in the building, but keep that sort of young, fiery energy. We see the guys are young. And I think you're right as well. I mean, an awful lot of this is going to be about young coaches learning along with the players. An awful lot of the, the best coaches will say, he taught me as much yep. as how to be a coach as I taught him as a player. And I think that where Aaron Rodgers is, and again, to hit on your kind of, your insistence that it's not the players running the team, to a large degree, it is the players running the team too. I mean, we have to be realistic too, don't we? That in a quarterback, the likes of Aaron Rodgers, um, do you know what? One of the most, and go back and listen to it. He does a podcast with a guy who's a comedian. And I used, to, I, I knew his name and now I'm on the podcast. So of course I can't remember. Um, but it's one of the only podcasts that Aaron Rodgers will do. We've put in requests and got contacts uh, with his agent and they've get, yes, we'll pass along that to Aaron's team. So even Aaron's team has a team. And so we pass along and let's see how that goes um, multiple times. So the thing is, is he went on this podcast. He's notoriously hard to get, but he, your man tries sickeningly to kind of get into this sort of cerebral stuff when it's really only kind of scratch on the surface. And then they go off and start talking about aliens. Um, but an important thing for him was is that what comes out of it and what certainly I garnered from the interview with him was going in, he had that chip on his shoulder. He wasn't selected where he was supposed to be. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of limited limited sympathy in that regard because I'm like, bro, like, you know, oh no, you fell down the draft a bit, come on. But he used that as energy to fire himself on and he's been outstanding. Um, you know, now he ranks as the best in, you know, all of these type of stats and quarterback rating over his career and all that stuff that we know. Uh, he's won his Super Bowl and he talks about being on the on the podium and looking down and kind of thinking, like, there's more to life than this. You know, and it's kind of like, okay, well, he's seen the peak. He knows what it is. He's decorated as the best that's ever played the game in an awful lot of circles. Let's not get into the whole Tom Brady debate. So 
like you know and and then he then he gets the big whopper contract so he's stepping out of everybody's shadow and saying look at me i've got all this cash so the thing is is like what motivates a guy like that and the thing is i think what motivates a guy like that is you have to kind of work with him create the offense with him and um, because he's doing it anyway right you know he's we've heard stories recently um mercedes lewis where he calls in plays are called in and he's rolling his eyes and calling what he wants so i think with a guy like that you have to just recognize the power that he has and unfortunately not bow down to him but certainly collaborate with him now nathaniel hackett is an interesting guy for me um now i do have to laugh pete as well that when they come out with these blurbs like he was with the jaguars and when he was with them they were great and then he was with these the buffalo bills when he was with them they were also great all all (laughs) nathaniel hackett you know it's kind of like all right there's probably other people that were in the coaching time as well i probably just wasn't uh in nady h out there doing his thing um, but certainly with the with the explosive offense that we've seen with the Jags and particularly how good they were on the run, what I'd like to ask you is, is I mean, are we looking at a staff that's being built up that is very run focused, you know, Nathaniel Hackett and, and, and all the rest where, he, you know, does it come down to a run first offensive minded way of looking at it? Or are these just sort of products of the players that they had? If you have Leonard Fournette, yeah, you're going to run the ball. When Blake Bortles is your quarterback, yeah, you're going to run the ball. <laughs> is that just what we're looking at here? And do we really not know what we have until we mix the cauldron together this year? Yeah, so, so I think you're asking the $64 million question that, <laughs> that lots of pundits are trying are trying to answer. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Is uh, To a degree, we have to wait to see what, what, what we get here. If you look at the history, and if you look at, you know, Hackett um, and his dad, so I'm old enough to remember his his father coaching yeah. for many years in the NFL. West Coast guys, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. But people forget in in those West Coast offenses, you know, even going back to you know, we always think of Bill Walsh and Montana and those guys. But the running game that the 49ers had, even back then with Wendell Tyler and Roger Craig and 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 those guys that. That there was a lot of run involved in those offenses, and so so I think that with Hackett, it's interesting to me because his resume in terms of success in running the football, which which you absolutely highlighted, uh, is in some ways very similar to that of of Lafleur's in terms of running in terms of running the football. Um, now Lafleur does have that. Um, success as the quarterbacks coach with Matt Ryan, some some you know some very high level success. And Matt Ryan was the league MVP. Yeah. But in the last few years, it's 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 very there's lots of similarities, and you wonder if that's why um, you know Lafleur eventually went with Hackett. And I know there were some other names that 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 were out there, but you never know the truth of the whole the whole stories. But but you know, is Hackett somebody very much in the same mould as Lafleur? And and on the on the face of it, on paper, it look it looks that way mm. in terms of their offensive thinking. But you're absolutely right to raise the question that we we just don't know at this time is is have they been predominantly run focused in the last few years? Because you know Hackett's like you say he's had Blake Bortles, and when he was at Buffalo, he had. I don't know who at quarterback, uh, EJ Manuel and guys and guys like that. So, but uh, 
But even if they were run run focused, I, I I'm kind of okay with that. Uh, and, and I think that I think that it's all about what what can you do off off the run. And uh, and both of them have been very much about short passes, get the ball out of the hands of the quarterback quickly, dump off a lot of balls to the running backs, lots of screens, lots of lots of slants to the wide receivers. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, we a lot of us spent the 2018 season complaining that. You know, Rogers wouldn't throw the check down, wouldn't throw the short ball, wouldn't wouldn't dump the ball off to the back. So, as long as Aaron's okay with it, I'm okay with it. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the big the big what we don't know is is I think Aaron's going to be asked to get rid of the ball a lot quicker, and that's kind of gone against perhaps what his instinct has has been. But I think that you're right in what you say. You have to stoke and and stroke an ego. And if Aaron thinks he's part of that whole decision-making process of building that offense, then then you know I'm I'm quite encouraged by it. That's what it's all about because the the biggest um, bugbear for me last season was, and I became a pseudo psychologist and body language expert, is when we saw Aaron <laughs> Rodgers throw his eyes up and and gas his teammate yep. and you know bang the ball up into the crowd and and all the rest. He quite clearly wasn't happy. And the thing is, and I'm alone in this. And what what I find sickening here, and I'll put on a caveat before I say this is, is that sometimes you will get someone talk to somebody uh, and they'll be, a, they'll be a friend or they'll appear on their show. And then all of a sudden they become this sort of like cheerleader boy, you know, of like, oh, he's great when really they have no right to say that he's great. Now, one thing that I will say for... Uh, Mark Murphy and here comes the alarm bells people are like turning up the radio going yeah go on Steve say something nice about him go on I dare you to say something nice about him he's been on the podcast and I've said it before in a previous podcast I appreciate his honesty some people see it as kind of this bumbling kind of like blah, blah, just you know verbal diarrhea um, but I think he's obviously quite a smart guy he's a he's a lawyer for God's sake and he played the game so he does know the game even though he strangely gets criticised for what does he know about it and he's kind of like <laughs> yeah because yeah, he goddamn played the game and he was yeah. he was a uh, he was a representative for the players during the, the strikes um, yeah. and all the rest and he got heavily criticised and blackballed um, with the Washington Redskins so I mean the guy has history there and then he became a lawyer so he's incredibly smart so i don't know how he gets this kind of like thing even yes well i kind of do get it all right the 15 minute diatribe before lafleur got to speak I, I get it i do understand what people are saying but the thing is is that you know it would have been his decision and i saw another comment as well actually about um brian gudekunst being some sort of gopher of mark murphy's which again is just complete tosh it's just so annoying um so the fact that they got uh lafleur to ring aaron Rodgers or vice versa um, and to talk before he got the job. Now, the media tried to make a big deal of that, but I personally thought, like, for God's sake, that the franchise quite clearly hinges on Aaron Rodgers performing well and being happy. And that's something that they've been criticised about not doing. When they replaced uh, Alex Van Pelt as the quarterback's coach, and they really annoyed him. Um, and then they, they, like, the media just love it. Like, the minute the decision's made, well, they're going to ask Aaron about that. And then they have to go... No. And then they go, oh, really? Oh, so he's not involved in it at all. Great. You know, it's kind of like, and if they say, yeah, oh, oh, really? So you're letting them run the team then? There's no happy right, medium, that, right? Right. And that's the, and that, and that's the issue. Right. So, so, so for me, 
it's kind of a non thing. It's a non story that they want to create a story out of. And, and it's simply, if they've not spoken to Aaron, well, why, why have you not spoken to Aaron? Yeah. If you have spoken to Aaron, it's like you say, oh, he's running the team now. And it's like, guys, in the grand scheme of things, this is just a non story. Yeah. And there has to be a happy medium. Now, one thing that I will say that does excite me. Um, and again, of course, this is the same as when Martellus Bennett came to the team and everyone was excited. I got excited when Jimmy Graham came to the team and I was like, this is going to be amazing. And it wasn't amazing. And this is another one of those things that on the outset and when you look at it with, with very limited scope, um, because we everybody simply does not have the information. Even Matt LaFleur has absolutely not a rash as how it's going to go, although he's doing his best, is that... LaFleur is a young guy who's going to more try work in tandem, I believe, with Aaron Rodgers. Um, he's, like Aaron Rodgers, they're, they're probably going to be to a degree, and although you might say not or not, like we've seen the likes of, not you, um, but people, um, sort of in the generic term, is that we see Holmgren when he went to the Niners, and there was that, it, just watch his football life, anybody out there who hasn't watched it, when he starts talking about, dear Jesus, what am I going to say of Steve Young and of... Um, you know, Joe Montana and, and, and what what am I going to say to these guys and how am I going to make them better and all this type of stuff. And then he was, mind was put at ease when Montana comes in and says, I want you to teach me hard and all the rest. It's that kind of thing of like, if you think that they're not daunted in some way by it, look at the way Holmgren was. Like we've a the first time head coach here uh, who's going to be calling plays uh, only in his second year because he only did it for one year. And then you have Nathaniel Hackett who basically had to throw the ball um, to his running backs because he had pretty poor um, quarterback play, even though Bortles did in that year play out of his skin. Um, and he kind of killed him in that last game that they lost in the playoffs because he actually didn't play well. Um, so the fact that LaFleur is in there is young and he's going to be looking at Aaron Rodgers to kind of work as kind of, not equals of course, but certainly more in a collaborative fashion. Nathaniel Hackett's going to be doing the same. The fact that they're kind of West Coast offense guys but they're going to be giving Aaron Rodgers enough new lingo to keep him on his toes um, so that he's not going to have that power in the relationship. And then I am excited and I do think it's a great move by LaFleur. And I say LaFleur and not Mike, uh, or not Mike, Jesus, definitely not Mike McCarthy, and not Mark Murphy um, and Brian Gudekunst is because they've came out in The Athletic this week and said that all of these coaching changes have been down to LaFleur. They've literally just let him do what he wants to do. And and, and, they were at, and they, he was asked by the Athletic, um, you know, did Murphy tell him to sort of, you know, excommunicate all of the, the coaches that were there to kind of, you know, switch them around and get someone new? And Gudekun said there's been absolutely none of that. Um, is Luke Getze. Because Luke Getze went on to um, Mississippi State, and he became the offensive coordinator. And now he's been brought back to be quarterback's coach. And what was pointed out quite rightly by Zach Cruz um, for Jesus Packers Wire is that he was saying that Rogers seemed to really uh, resonate with Van Pelt because he was a quarterback, a former quarterback. Tom Clements because he was a former quarterback. And Luke Etzi himself was also a former quarterback. And Aaron Rodgers is on the books as saying that uh, Getty was indispensable when it came to um, some you know postseason plays and all that because he was a coach, uh, an offensive coach with the Packers from 2014 to 17. So within those time period, Rogers was saying how lucky they were to have Getty, and then Getty came out last year, um, and again this is on Packers wire, um, saying that he really enjoyed his time with Aaron Rodgers. Getty stated obviously wouldn't, um, and that he was truly lucky and truly blessed to have an open dialogue with him, which again is the important point. 
that they grew close and that it was a blessing and all this type of lark, but that they became great friends and all the rest. So I think that um, it's going to be great to have them more in a collaborative fashion, something that we see the likes of Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady kind of bounce off each other. And the fact that he's gone from being an offensive coordinator for Mississippi State to become the quarterback's coach, which... Like, I don't know, Pete, whether you'd see that as kind of a step down in his career development. I don't know. But certainly the fact that he's given that up to do this with Rodgers hopefully makes Rodgers happy, energized. And now he's got this youth and fire in the building as well with the other offensive minds. So it could be a real melting pot of firepower. But as you said, and like I've saying, this is all just idle speculation. Um, and we really just don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I think from get I think gets his perspective, you know, having previously worked in... In Green Bay, um, pro- probably moving from being the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach at Mississippi State, which is, um, you know, one of the SEC schools, but not one of the, you know, we're not talking yeah. Alabama here. Mm. Um, it's probably a sideways move, but I, uh, but I, but I think that I think probably the lure to work with Aaron Rodgers again or more closely this time is was you know was probably the, the the key to that and you know if 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 Rogers is is up for gets you know taking that role which is what it very much sounds like as you've described um then it, you know it sounds like it sounds like a, a good move all round and and I, and I agree with you I think the fact that he's you know he played quarterback um in college so it's kind of has that background he can at least get a little bit into the head of of you know what might be going through Rogers' mind in certain certain situations yeah what one of the one of the irony is just as a complete aside you know gets is taking you know the job that was frank signetti junior's job mm. it was frank signetti's brother that hired uh, gets into one of his first college roles <laughs> Oh, and he didn't I'm not sure know. that I've seen that reported anywhere. It's a piece of useless information that's clearly hanging around in the depths of my brain somewhere. How in the world did you know that? But definitely that's... It's useless. Useless information. Complete useless information, Steve. But... I don't know. I think we could probably spin some sort of fiction that his brother secretly tried to hire staff to eventually <laughs> oust his brother to look like the best one at the Christmas table. I don't know. That seems more plausible to me. Um, but um, yeah, so I guess the rundown through the new hires then, Mike Smith, seven years, um, as a coach he's uh, the outside linebackers coach and you know what really stood out as well Pete about this one um, is that on the Packers website they say in 2018 Smith coached D Ford who was selected <laughs> as the first pro ball. I was like is that the D Ford who was offside in the neutral was, zone <laughs> didn't quite coach him coach him not to line up offside but, yeah but, uh... now obviously D had no idea that they were going to intercept the ball which could have ended the game and sent him to the Super Bowl but still yeah maybe scrub that line off the bio because it doesn't exactly yeah. hold I mean, I mean but what's actually interesting is that, is, that, is that Mike Smith's one of those where you can look at his kind of CV and you can and you can see a, prog- a career progression yeah and you can also see you know the fact that he's worked with Mike Pettin twice i think in the in the past so it's and he's i believe he's very close on a personal personal um, way with mike mike Penn, and i think they've helped out each other in the past in coaching roles and what have you so i think you know that sounds like a very positive mm. very positive thing yeah um and the the other coaches then uh tight ends as we mentioned before justin outen again he's the he's the guy who was like um, you know the high school thing which I said sort of made me, uh, 
aren't you know it's kind of like okay maybe don't put that down it's like when you're doing your cv and you know you're on your like second job so like you know a little way down you're like and in college i worked through bars and whatever if you need references you know don't ask because they're not going to help you whatsoever to tell me how good i'm going to be uh kirk olivadotti is the inside linebackers coach this is a guy who's the oldest of them all like he's in his mid-40s he was 16 seasons uh with the washington redskins um, which is an incredible amount of time. Uh, again, he kind of along the same lines of James Campen, I guess, that he spent an awful lot of time. And like they said on Packers on script, and like I mentioned last week with Mike Spofford, if you can last that long as an assistant coach, it is because you haven't been fired because we've seen the you know the head coach and staff churn around um, in some yep. of these places. So if you got you get a guy that's sort of sticking around, he's obviously doing a good job as is taught highly and and gives some. Um, character there um luke getty we mentioned quarterbacks coach and tanya hackett offensive coordinator um adam stenovich uh again a guy who according to his bio is fantastic i love the line coach the line that cleared the way for matt breeder as if he was in there himself <laughs> you know making chop blocks uh, i was kind of like going mm, okay and uh, maybe we won't talk about uh, that and then of course it talks about his his career in in college um as well but but uh, if I can just mention more so for the comment section, we see an interesting move. There's a guy and he looks uh, pretty damn serious in his in his photo here on Packers.com. Milt Hendrickson. So this is the guy who's coming as director of football operations. Uh, you know, something that people are saying is interesting because that's Elliot Wolf's old job. And he just seems like you're kind of standard, like, you know, middle of the uh, 1990s. He starts off getting into some sort of coaching, ends up into the personnel side of things bounces around with the Ravens and makes his way up as kind of a national scout in 2016. Um, and apparently, according to the comments section, which can't be verified, is that he's Brian Gutekunst, one of his good mates. Um, but if I may, Pete, and I don't know if, before I get into the comments section, have you any opinion whatsoever on our buddy old pal, Milt Hendrickson, and his importance in this announcement? I, I, I re- yeah, in all fairness, I really, I really don't. I mean, uh, you know, he's... <laughs> He's been with what was a winning organization for most of his time, you know, the Ravens. So they were clearly doing a bunch of stuff the right way. And you hope that over that length of time, you know, I think he was with the Ravens for 14 years or something like that in various roles, as you've described, you hope that in that length of time that he's picked up and, and, and learned a few things. And in the role that, that Brian Guttenkunst has got, I think you need to have whether it's a confidant, a right-hand man, somebody that thinks the way that you think, um, and perhaps also somebody that will, you know, and we don't know, but it might might actually be somebody that trusts enough that um, Hendrickson could be the person that says, Brian, I think you're on the wrong track with this. Yeah. So, so not necessarily a, a yes man, which is, which is a really good thing. So, no, I really don't have anything much of value to add. Yeah, and like you said, I do agree. 15 seasons in the NFL and not 15 seasons uh, with Gudekun. So, uh, now, in fairness, he was he was brought in as an intern in Green Bay in 2004. And apparently the rumor is, and again, from the comments section, is that uh, Gudekun's got him the job as an intern. So it's kind of like they were mates from college and he goes, here, i got, I've got an intern and job if you want to come in. But um, yeah, like you said, a winning organization um, in the Ravens an awful long time. And you can see kind of what you said about the last CVs. You can see the definite progression and promotion there. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing that I do like as a general point in 
in in the front office staff is to have guys that have worked in other organizations yeah so so that you're just not learning one way of doing things and you know somebody with different ideas some of which you'll keep some of which you'll throw out which is absolutely fine but I, but i think in that front office i think to have people that have worked in different organizations worked in different ways with different systems i think is is always helpful yeah, and which to a degree, and not to sort of go back to it, but the the coaching changes, like that's why Joe Philbin was definitely never going to get the head coaching job. And I know that's for more obvious reasons, but certainly it's kind of a throwback to uh, yeah. kind of just repeating the same thing with the Packers and trying to get the you know get success from from doing the same thing. You know that whole definition of insanity thing. But anyway, let me get down <laughs> into the uh, the comment section. And I love it that you know all, there's loads of experts in here i never understood uh pete what the hell we were doing reading the official stuff and we could have just been banging into the comment section and getting all the information that we could ever need uh, so there's lads giving out of course news broke about a month ago and then some guy well the news originally broke in january 2008 and then resurfaced once hendrickson contract was about to expire with the ravens so according to the comment section um this was happening a year ago and then they couldn't get him because they wouldn't allow him sort of interview and then his contract was up and he went over but i just love this this person's uh opinion as to why it wasn't announced he didn't sign the contract until now official website means only rumor until contract is signed that way there are no reactions like oops failed musical uh, physical or this is my favorite one or wife says no to winter <laughs> it's just like <laughs> she's just like no nah, no nah, not going for that winter nope no way not going out to green Bay. thanks very much I love that. it's just kind of like they're the two options you know they're the two <laughs> options it's kind of like for some reason uh milt would have to do a physical to become uh to become a football operations director and also he's you know he has to pass the wife winter test <laughs> so that's that's an important one yeah. i don't know what to say to that yeah well you know what i mean it's just obviously they i don't know they had to bring the wife around as well and just you know give her some fur coats or something back in the day curly lambo style um so there's an awful lot going on in packers nation but again an awful lot of stuff right that we can't really speak on because um some of the stuff that we we just simply don't know how these guys are going to turn out and of course people that we haven't actually mentioned all that much uh within the podcast that we might have more of a semblance of what they're going to do is the coaches that were retained so running backs coach uh, ben sermons is going to be retained which you know let's face it the what we've got from the running game from late draft picks seems to be fantastic mike petton of course is going to stay um again that's an interesting one so let me pick your brain about this as well uh pete mike petton do you think his performance last season warrants him staying or do you think this is a mixture of that plus not wanting to change absolutely everything all at the same time and in that do you think that mike petton coming into this year really has to impress to keep his job because lafleur might look at that and go that's an area for regime change so, so I th- no, I, I absolutely think his performance last year, um, twenty eighteen, warrants him keeping keeping his job. The, the defense clearly took a step forward in twenty eighteen, and did so with a myriad of injuries, particularly in the defensive backfield, where every week a new guy was popping up that none of us had ever heard of. Um, so, so I think that he did a really good job. We have to temper that a little bit with where we were coming from, you know, and the years and years and years other than, I guess, 2010 of 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 fire capers and being, you know, the 31st ranked defense in the league or the 32nd ranked or the 28th ranked. So we were coming from quite a low base to begin with. 
so 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 we have to temper great enthusiasm with anything better would have been better you know um but but i think but i think he did an excellent job with um lots of injuries and you know rookies and first year guys playing so so we all you know we all love jair alexander but that's a rookie that that's had to come in and learn the ropes and, and play. And that's a difficult position. In fact, probably along with quarterback and, and offensive tackle, probably the most difficult position to come in and start and contribute in the NFL. So, you know, lots of first year guys, you know, Josh, Josh Jackson. So I think that Petten did a very good job in 2018. But I think we have to look for some level of further improvement in 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 2019. You know, if if, if the defense slips, and I guess it ended up right in the middle of the pack, pretty much in in yards. You know, if the, if the defense starts to slip into the 20s, then 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 it would be only right that Lafleur would at least be thinking in his own mind: Does he need to do something here? But I'm I'm reasonably I'm reasonably confident because I think that they're going to spend some more draft picks defensively and I think they're going to make a a big free agent signing somewhere on on the defense either at linebacker or or on the defensive line um which which will really help so I'm yeah I'm I'm pretty okay with Mike Pettin and you just mentioned the the buzzword I think if this was a game show there'd be like lights flashing and stuff going off free agency <laughs> um, where does PDP sit with free agency? Can we risk talking about it, or do we have to go? No, 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 no. Leave that another couple of weeks. So, so, so I think that you know, in in two or three weeks' time, once once we've got the the Super Bowl out of the way and, and what have you, um, and they get to the point in the middle of February when when they have to start tendering the restricted free agents and and the exclusive rights free agents we start to get a clearer picture of what's going on. But I think in, in, in summary, from a Packers perspective, you know, they're going to be 35 to 40 million under the cap. There's still a few adjustments to be, to be made. Um, and I, you know, and they have immediate decisions, absolutely immediate decisions to make as soon as free agency starts. So we're hoping they're making those decisions now um, around Nick Perry and Jimmy Graham. Yeah. Because those guys have have huge roster bonuses that are both due on the third day of free agency, which is March the 15th. And clearly if they pay those roster bonuses, and I think the numbers are 5 million for Graham and I think four and a half for, for Nick Perry, if they pay those roster bonuses, then those guys are staying. Yeah. You're not going to pay the roster, those roster bonuses and let them go. Um, if they don't pay those roster bonuses, then those guys become free agents on the 15th of March. Um, so, so it's a huge decisions to make how they manage the cap around those situations. And, you know, I've seen some rumors about can we get their contracts renegotiated and all that stuff. Really difficult to do um, because of those roster bonuses and the fact that if you're one of those players, I'm just going to sit there and take that bonus or I'm going to make you make me a free agency and I'll just enter re-enter free agency and take a signing bonus somewhere else. There's not a lot in it for either of those two players to renegotiate the contracts that they're on. So I think very quickly in the free agency period, which kind of makes it exciting for Packers in the middle of 
in the middle of March, there's going to be stuff happening. Yeah, um, it's going to be exciting times, I guess. Maybe not for those players who do get caught and there's some massive decisions then to be made um, on the likes of Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely watch this space. But is there any other business then from Mr. Jones? Um, not not really. I'm glad you've welcomed me back from Green Bay, Green Bay East with open arms. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. No, nothing, nothing really, Steve. I'm just looking forward to, I guess, to some further conversations around the whole free agency stuff and, and what have you in in a few weeks' time. Yeah, and we certainly, when it comes closer to the draft, uh, we have the two best minds in um, in all of Packerland, I believe, uh, in yourself and Andy Davies um, at Poodle Shrew. Um, so it'll be interesting. Hopefully, we can we can knock heads on that and really get sort of a clear picture as to what the needs are who we think that these guys might go to draft, who we need, um, and what guys are available at that position um, because I've been nothing but flabbergasted over the coverage the last number of years um, from the 2EE, certainly um, about who to look out for and who uh, yeah, we're going to keep. And, yeah, yeah, and I absolutely recommend for those of you on Twitter following following Andy Davis at Pooley Shrew, as, as um, Steve says. He's, he's already just floating the odd idea out there around tight ends and drafting multiple tight ends and stuff already on Twitter. So it's it's really good follow. Yeah. And I'm actually, only that I've seen Andy Davies in the flesh and, and start throwing spirals and stuff like that, I'd almost uh, say that he's some sort of secret mole to the Packers organization because uh, he certainly has his finger on the pulse for some of the guys that are drafted there. Um, but I guess we'll um, call it a day. Uh, but before we do, the Super Bowl is now literally a week away. So it's in London and we're hanging out with the Gridiron guys. And we also have flag football in Regency Park. If you want any details, just make sure you hit our uh, Twitter at UK Packers. Uh, hit us up on Facebook as well. Just search UK Packers. And you can even send us a picture in picture form um, on Instagram as well, at UK Packers. But certainly if you're interested in joining, there's no experience needed to play in the flag football um, it's all just a bit of fun I would say it's all just a bit of crack uh, but people tend to get the wrong idea and think that we're um, in some way dealing in narcotics it's C-R-A-I-C which is the Irish for fun uh, which even Rob Domofsky knows and uses with his own kids he says so uh, that was a fun little nugget there but anyway um, from myself at NFL, uh, from the almighty um, at IT Hedgehog Peter Jones make sure you give him a follow and make sure you check out the website ukpackers.co.uk and hit up the blog um, for some um, majestic stuff uh, from Peter himself you can subscribe to the podcast, by the way, uh, depending on where you're listening, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, and on iTunes. And you can subscribe to make sure that you don't miss an episode. And, Peter, I'm really reluctant to do this, but will I float out the name of a person who is supposed to be coming on the podcast after the Super Bowl, but we don't have a time for that we've been trying to organize for months now and is looking closer to happening, but we don't know if it's going to happen? Will I release that person's name? Is that dangerous? Yes. Okay. After the Super Bowl, Aaron Jones will be on the podcast to talk all things Packers and his rise to superstardom. I'm going to put it out there and let's just pretend that it's now fact and true. We don't have the time. And if his agent is listening, who's also super famous in his own right, um, well, then we've said it now. So you have to commit. So I guess we'll, we'll park it there. So until next week, see you. Goodbye.